Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Bibles out and open them up to Romans chapter 8. We're in uh, verses 12 through 27 today. Romans chapter 8, 12 through 27. Monday through Wednesday of this week, I was in Gatlinburg, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We were at the Fall Jubilee Conference. The senior adults, some of us were. Uh, young at heart, there were 22 of us that went up to the conference. We heard all kinds of good gospel music. I was raised on gospel music. There's not much music I don't like. And it's just, I, just about the whole world of music I like. I love gospel. I was raised on gospel music. I get to hear the Hoppers. Hoppers are one of my favorite gospel groups around. Absolutely love them. Never heard of a girl called Linda Randall before. Absolutely love this girl. She's got a deep alto voice. And, uh, and when she came out on stage, her music didn't work. It was the way they had this thing set up as the, the opening acts, of which she was an opening act, sang on tra- using tracks, and then the, the primary act, the big act of the night, had instruments and all that kind of good stuff. And she came out, and, and her music didn't work. It just didn't work. So she immediately got the congregation, to, or the, the people that were there, 5,500 of us that were there, to sing a song that we knew, to give them a little time to work on stuff. And then two guys came out. A guy came on the piano. A guy came with a guitar. And they hadn't rehearsed this. They just played and never missed a beat. It was the craziest thing I'd ever say. I admired her as much for professionalism as I did for a musical ability. It was incredible. We had uh, uh, the Gaither vocal band, if you're familiar with the Gaithers, you know. Bill Gaither was there. Yeah, he was 198 years old. They kept kidding him about being born in 1906. Uh, it's sort of sad, actually, with, with Bill Gaither because he is 82 years old. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's not quite as sharp as he used to be. And, uh, and it's sort of sad to watch that Gaither era pass away. Gaithers did a lot of good music. I've uh, enjoyed a lot of the things the Gaithers did, and they, they brought a different flavor to church worship uh, that, that wasn't there prior to Bill and Gloria Gaither coming around. So listen to Gaither. Gaither vocal band was just crazy good. Four guys, five guys, four guys. I forget how many guys that were up there. Perfect, perfect harmonies. It was absolutely gorgeous. We had a, we had a very good time. There were two preachers that preached, uh, Johnny Hunt. I think it's kind of his event. I think it's organized out of First Baptist Woodstock. Johnny Hunt preached two, pre- two sermons. And, and Robert Jeffers, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas uh, that you see on Fox News sometime. And this is where, if, if you hear this, Dr. Jeffers, this is my apology to you. Uh, preachers that are on the news, I sort of, they're suspect in my mind, you know, because they're, you know, are they, are they really for Jesus or are they really for politics and, and how is this going to work? And so I've seen him and I thought, yeah, he must be just one of those guys. He came and he preached a Jesus sermon. 
He didn't mention much about politics at all. He dove into scripture. He preached, and he was good. It was, it was very, very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, there were 5,500 of us there, like I said. We laughed. We sang. We ate. We had all kinds of good snacks. Uh, uh, on the bus, we don't bring anything healthy, but we eat the whole time that we're gone. We have these cookies that I don't know what the real name of them is. I call them slap me knots that Judy Morgan makes that are just like air. So you can eat 50 of them. And each one has like 500 calories. And I just, they set them beside, I'm driving, set them beside the driver's seat. And I'm just eating them like candy. And then Faye Darcy makes chocolate covered. Y'all don't need to know all this, but I want you to know. Chocolate covered peanuts, little clusters. And you eat those by the handfuls too. And I mean this... We actually don't go for the conference. We go for the bus ride so we can eat. I mean, it's really good. So if you're, if you're inclined to go with us, we're going to go to Myrtle Beach in the spring. They're going to have another Jubilee conference at Myrtle Beach. Uh, and if you don't go, shame on you. You are missing a good time. We, have a, we just have a great, great time. We're gone. But I want you to, to realize that, that I did have an issue on this trip. I didn't have issue with our folks. I had some issues with some other folks. And I didn't have issues with everybody, but there were a couple of people that I had some serious issues with on this trip. And I want to set the stage for you here. There were 5,500 people, and, um, and, and Johnny Hunt kept addressing the builder generation. Do you have a clue who the builder generation is? The builder generation. You know, we know the boomers, and we know the millennials, and the X, Y, Zs, and the LMNOPs, and we know all those generations. What's a builder? A builder is a person that was born before 1945. And he kept addressing the builder generation. So what that tells me, when you speak, you always know the demographics of the group that you're speaking to, which leads me to believe that the majority of those 5,500 people there were 72 years of age or older. Now, there were a few young people there, but their job was just to keep up with the walkers and make sure they got back to the right person. The older folks, we, there were just a ton of us there. Everybody there either knew Moses or they knew one of Moses' children. It's just that simple. So here we are at this convention center. There's 5,500 people. They're over 72 years old, the majority of them. They're not moving that fast. And, and they're out of the buses, and they're trying to get into the conference center, and there's traffic all over the place. And when the thing's over, I have to walk a half a mile to get the bus, and I'm, I'm coming down this hill, and I picked everybody up, and I'm, and I'm headed down the hill. We're in Gatlinburg. Did I mention that to y'all? They have mountains in Gatlinburg. You know, you're going down a steep kind of thing, and I'm going down this steep kind of thing in our big bus, 40-passenger bus. And this guy, I see him. He's standing on the curb. And I see him, and I know, I know that I know that he's about to step out in front of me. I just see it in his eyes. And sure as shoot, he just steps out in front of the bus. Not a crosswalk, nothing. He just steps out in front of the bus. I had had a number of people do that at that point, and I was a little bit on the frustrated side. And I've got to admit that some of the things I said, some people have accused me of not being very Christian, not being very pastorly. Because I did say out loud a number of times, I will run over you. And when that guy stepped out, I said, I said out loud, I will run over you. And I wanted to just sort of ease right up to him to let him know that he's just seconds away from meeting Jesus. But I didn't do that. I was nice. I put on brakes and stopped. And he walks out. 
He walks out to the, here's, here's the bus, you know, the middle of the road, here's the bus. He walks out and he goes, And then he stands up, and instead of walking across the road, he walks back to the curb. He wasn't wanting to cross the road. He was looking for somebody. He took his life into his own hands to look to see if he could find somebody in the middle of traffic. What is the matter with people? What is the matter with people? We were walking. When you get inside the, when you get inside the conference center, you know, you've got aisles that you have to walk into and people were getting those aisles and they would just stop and get into a cluster and, and you're trying to get around them and they won't move. And I did, I did finally get into one and go, excuse me, excuse me, and start throwing some bows to get them out of the way so I could get onto my seat because they looked me in the eye and they didn't move. And I go, what's the matter with you people? We're off the bus. They're off the bus. I'm, I'm somewhere else. So I'm getting this story secondhand, but I got it from a lot of people, so I know the veracity of the story. There's a guy on a scooter. There's a guy on a scooter, not one of ours. There's a guy on a scooter, big crowd of people trying to get in. The doors haven't opened yet. A guy on a scooter that's trying to work his way through because he's got to get over to the ramp. He's over here. The ramp's way over yonder. He's got to get over to the ramp. <clears throat> So he's trying to make his way through, and people aren't moving. And so one of our people decides that they're going to help him get to the ramp. And so they get in front of him, and excuse me, move, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And they get to this woman who turns around and says to her, we've been waiting a long time too. To which our member, I think, said something along the lines, I will knock you down. Get out of the way. We're going to get this guy over there. And got him over there and got him to the ramp. I'm not going to tell you who the member was. It would embarrass Neva to death if I told you that's. So I'm not going to mention that, but it's. What's wrong with people? This is the builder generation. 72 years of age or older. Has the Twitter first infected you people too? Has the greatest generation been infected by the same arrogant narcissism that affects the rest of American culture? We ought to know better than this. We are Christ followers. We do not have to be this way. And that's the theme this morning. We don't have to be this way. This scripture is laid out into three questions or three statements that we're going to address this morning. We don't have to be this way. We don't have to think this way. And we don't have to fight this way. We don't have to be this way, we don't have to think this way, and we don't have to fight this way. Like I said, the scriptures from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, it begins with verse 12, we go through 12 through 27, we're holding 28 for next week because it takes a long time to do 28 and 29. So, uh, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if, but if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, 
heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly. You remember that? Hang on to that phrase. We wait eagerly for adoptions as Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now verse 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Let's update the language a little bit. Let's, let's, let's hear it in the way we would speak. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated, listen, <clears throat> we are not obligated to live like everybody else. We are not obligated to live like everybody else. Y'all know what a debtor is, right? I just hand you a mirror and you can look into it and you can see what a debtor looks like. I imagine 99% of the people in here have a loan of some sort. If you have borrowed money from somebody somewhere at some time, that makes you a debtor. You have to pay them back. You are obligated to give them the money that they gave to you. And in our world, you give them the money plus interest. You are obligated to them. We're not obligated. We are not obligated to Hollywood. Just because Hollywood puts up pictures of things that they want to present as normal, we're not obligated to them. We're not obligated to accept what they put out there. We're not obligated to Madison Avenue. We're not obligated to buy everything somebody puts on television. We're not obligated to accept as normal everything that Madison Avenue puts in, in the commercials. We are not obligated to purchase those things at all. We are not obligated to Washington, D.C. Now listen, this might wig you out just a little bit and you think that i am got issues, but and I do have issues, but not about this. We're not obligated to follow immoral laws. You understand? Just because Congress passes a law and it is an ungodly law, we're not obligated to follow that. We follow a higher power. We are children of God. Now, I support my country and I love my country, but when my country says that it's okay to kill a child at the moment of birth, right that minute, I'm telling you, that's not a law to be followed. That's wrong. We are not obligated to them. We're not obligated to Twitter. We're not obligated to the world as presented by Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or any of the grams that are out there. We do not live, have to live this way. We are different we are different. We're children of God. 
We aren't like everybody else. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I've said this before, and I, 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 I said this in the first service. It's not in the notes, but say it again here. I want you to understand, I want you to understand some things. Um, a worship service, to be a worship service, does not have to conform to 60 minutes. I hate it for you. If you think it's got to be 60 minutes, I'm sorry. We plan our worship services for an hour and 15 minutes. Hour and 15 minutes. Now, here's why. I'm not going to preach you a devotional on Sunday. I grew up on devotionals. And here I am at 63 years old studying the scriptures and sitting as I'm studying scriptures going, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. How come somebody didn't tell me that? I didn't know that. Well, you know what? I want you to know we're living in a world right now that is about to go crazy on us. When you look at biblical prophecy, you don't see the United States in that prophecy. I wonder why. Do you reckon it's because the United States isn't the superpower at that particular time that it is right now? Do you think it could be? Well, Randy, it's just because they didn't know. God knew what the United States was, didn't he? See, I want us to know, and I want us to understand, and I want us to be wise. So, that's why we do some of the things that we do, and that's why I'm not worried about going an hour and 15 minutes. We are not all children of God. When Oprah stands up and says, we're all children of God, that's a lie. If Steve Harvey stands up and says, we're all children of God, that's a lie. We're all creations of God. All of us are created by God. He is the creator of everyone. And at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord because he created us all. But the only people that are children of God are who? People that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the only ones. Make sure when you're listening to people that you understand the truth. If you have staked your life on Jesus' burial his death, burial, and resurrection, and your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have been adopted into the family. We are children of God, and because we are children of God, we are not obligated to act like everybody else. We're just not obligated to act like everybody else. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, if you live like everyone else, you will die. That's what the Scripture says. So listen, if you as a Christian want to live like everybody else and your world gets turned upside down and things don't work out right, well, why do you think that might be? If you dabble in deadly things, chances are you're going to get hurt. This is what he's telling us in the scripture, that, that if you live according to flesh, you will die. John Stott says that we need to be ruthless in our determination to not be like everybody else. He says this quote, if temptation comes to us through what we see, through what we handle, or through what we visit, then we must be ruthless in not looking, not touching, and not going. If temptation comes to us through what we see, through what we handle, and through what we visit, we must be ruthless in not looking at it, in not touching it, and not going to see it or going and be a part of it ruthless mercenary without reservation because we don't have to be like that 
We are not required. We are not obligated. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Changes just a little bit. You don't have to be that way. And one of the ways that we are is that we sit around Baptist church. One of the reasons we have committees is so we can't get anything done. I mean, it's just committees are designed for the status quo. We're all going to sit around for six months, and one of the questions that we're going to ask ourselves for the six months that we're trying to decide whether we should, you know, move something six feet over from one place to another, one of the things that we do is we keep asking, well, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And y'all have asked that question of yourselves. I've asked the same question myself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And sometimes we're paralyzed because we can't, is this right? Is this the right thing to do? Should I do this? Is this the right thing to do? That question is old as the hills. Martin Luther, at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther is in the Wartburg, W-A-R-T-B-U-R-G, it's probably pronounced Wartburg, uh, castle, hiding from the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church, now dig this, are you ready? The Catholic Church is going to kill him. The church... The church is going to kill him. Not like run him off like Baptist churches do preachers, but literally kill him. Now he's hiding out from the Catholic church. Melanchthon is back in Wittenberg. Melanchthon's a good friend of his. He's a, uh, a contemporary, he's a scholar like Luther is. He's not quite as sharp as Luther is, and he's not quite as, as, as um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? He's... Luther is determined, Melanchthon's a little bit shaky. And he's back home, and people have listened to what Luther said, and, and things are starting to get out of hand. There's a group of people that want to throw everything that the Catholic Church ever did out. Let's just get rid of it completely, and we're going to do something completely different. And there's another group that's more like Luther that says, you know, the Catholic Church did a lot of good stuff. We don't want to throw that stuff out. All we want to make sure of is that, it, is that salvation comes by faith alone through grace alone by Christ alone we want to make sure that's understood that you don't have to be a member of the Catholic Church you don't have to go before a priest that it's between you and the Lord and 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 he will save you on that basis but he says we don't want to throw out prayer we don't throw out prayer we don't want to throw out fasting we don't want to throw out communion we don't want to throw out charity the Catholic Church we know today the Catholic Church is one of the largest charitable organizations in the world. They know how to take care of people. So this is what Luther wrote back to Melanchthon. Because Melanchthon sent him a note and says, I don't know the right thing to do. What if I don't do the right thing? What is the right thing to do? And Luther wrote back, you've heard this before probably. It's always used out of context. Luther said, be a sinner and sin boldly. Be a sinner and sin boldly. Let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. We will commit sins while we are here for this life is not a place where justice resides. Brother, pray hard for you are quite a sinner. I thought, isn't that a great thing to send to your best friend? Dude, you need to pray hard because you're a sinner. You are quite a sinner. But what's his point? He's saying, listen, you don't have to live this way. You need to pray. 
you see what the situation is. You pray, you read the scripture, and then you do the right thing and you move on. You do what you think is the right thing to do according to the scripture, by your prayer, and then you move on and you don't worry about it again. Sin, sin boldly. You just go do it. Because the Holy Spirit resides in you and God's law is written in your heart. Trust the Lord to guide you. And if you choose the wrong thing, he'll get you to the right thing. Get up, get moving and go. Just go. Be different from everybody else. It doesn't matter what Ariana Grande or Taylor Swift or Sean Mendez says, where they do, what they do or where they go. You're a child of God. Trust the Spirit to guide you. Get up and move on. Because you're different. You are a child of God. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We inherit what God has. We are fellow inheritors with Jesus, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. We'll talk about suffering in a second. It is our choice. It is our choice how we live. People have said to me, that's just old so-and-so, that's just how he is. No, so-and-so chooses to be a jerk. Somebody ought to call him on it. We shouldn't enable him. He chooses to be that way. We choose who we're going to follow, life or death. We are children of God. We have to choose life. We don't have to live this way. And we don't have to think this way. In the last two weeks, I've seen two young women on the news who were absolutely hysterical over climate change. Absolutely. Y'all have seen them too. One of them was at the United Nations and was just going absolutely ballistic. We've stolen her childhood. We've stolen her future. Us horrible people who used to use plastic, uh, paper bags that we would take home and use them over and over and over for a million different things. But the younger people are the ones that brought in the plastic that now pollutes all the world. It doesn't matter. You old people, y'all ruined the planet. You've destroyed this place for this poor child. And then another woman came up. And I pray that she was a plant. I hope she doesn't really believe this because if she does, man, she's got, she is really whacked out. She said that we need to eat our children. We need to eat our children because there are too many people on this planet and we are destroying our planet. These ladies were hysterical because they were hopeless. And y'all, the news, the news, y'all understand that the news is in the business of selling us hopelessness. That's what they're in the business of selling, is hopelessness. Romans 18.8 says, Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And stop and take a deep breath moment. He says, the sufferings we're going through right now, this present time, when he's talking about sufferings, he means all of the suffering. We are, I truly believe with all of my heart, in the United States, in short order, we are going to have problems being Christians in this country. I believe it. I don't think Donald Trump is going to remove, re, 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 is going to return us 
to the cultural Christianity of the 50s and 60s. I don't think it's going to happen. I think those days are gone and they're gone forever. I think the world is going to get worse and worse. Our culture is going to get worse and worse. And it's going to become hard for us and our children to be Christians. He is talking about that suffering, but he's also talking about our physical suffering and our moral suffering. Because you know what, folks? I said earlier, and it's a fact of life, if you get old, it just means that you're not dying, but you get old. And as you get older, things hurt. I promise you, they do. Sometimes you get replacement parts. That worked out pretty well. But sometimes there are parts that you can't get replacements for. And it just hurts. And it aches. And your body is a problem. And you try to get out of bed in the morning. And you get out one leg at a time. And each leg getting out of the bed is like a new torture device that somebody's put on there until you get warmed up and can move. He's talking about the physical suffering that you go through. He talks about the moral suffering you go to. We make dumb choices. We make dumb choices. The best of people. We will make choices that are dumb choices that the rest of the world makes because everybody's making these choices and we think it's, it worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me. And the whole time God's saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you go, well, you know, it works for everybody else. It's going to work for me. And then we suffer moral failure. He's talking about all of those sufferings. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. I'm amazed by us that we keep thinking we can fix everything. Some of y'all remember the 70s and the 80s. We had rivers that caught on fire. Do y'all remember that? Rivers are water. Water doesn't burn. But there were so many pollutants in the river that a river literally caught on fire. So we formed the Environmental Protection Agency. And we passed the Clean Water Act. And we cleaned up all that water. And guess what we did? Now you can go out in the Pacific Ocean and there's a place the size, twice the size of the state of Texas that is the, the, the world's garbage dump. Floating tons and tons of plastic. We fixed one thing, we messed up something else. We're so smart. We've got drugs that can cure cancer and battle cancer, but it blows your kidneys out. We have drugs that when you read the small print, almost every one of those drugs ends with these words, may cause death. Well, that makes me feel good. Maybe I can take two of those pills. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. But verse, and verse 20, 21 says something that we need to take to heart. He says the world is in bondage to corruption. It's doing the exact opposite of what evolution says. It's not evolving into something better. It's devolving into chaos. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, volcanoes, record heat, 101 degrees in September, record snowfall in some places. The earth that God created perfectly is suffering under the curse of sin that we imposed on it. But the good news is in verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Waits with eager longing. Any of y'all have kids or grandkids that get real excited when grandma or grandpa's coming over? Or maybe you're keeping them and mom and dad's coming home from work. Or the kid's got a play date coming up. And, and, and they think they see their friend coming and they're standing at the door and they're standing on tiptoes and they're bouncing up and down and they're all so happy and they can't stand it. And when they see what they think is the car that's got whoever's supposed to be coming in it, they squeal, there they are! Y'all have seen that, right? That's what this is saying. 
that's the exact image that these words are portraying in the scripture. That creation is on tiptoes, staring off into the distance, saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But it's not just creation that does that. It says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is just an aside, another little quick aside right quick. We don't have time to do this. We'll talk about it one day, but I just want to plant this idea. Whoever said that when we die and go to heaven, we're going to be floating on a cloud, playing a, uh, not a flute, but a uh, harp, that is straight from the abyss. It smells like smoke. That is a lie from Satan himself. You go back and read the scripture. This is one of those things that I'm leaning back here at 63 years old, start studying a little bit more about heaven because I'll be there sooner than most of y'all probably or a number of y'all except Neva. I'll be there. It'll be a while. But I'm reading that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and that this earth is going to be transformed and a lot of the good stuff that we see right now is going to be there. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be God's. It's going to be to the glory of God. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth, and life is going to be different. 23 through 25, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we do what? We wait eagerly, tiptoes, looking. We see it coming. We see it coming. We're waiting eagerly for adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. One of these days, it's going to be easy to get out of bed. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We stand on tiptoes, bouncing up and down, squealing with excitement as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And we're going to have bodies in heaven. We're going to have, we're going to have bodies in the new earth. And it's in this hope that we were saved. Now, he talked about suffering. I listened to J.D. Greer preaching this, this text, and he talked about a friend of his who was 40 years old in his 40s, has children, has a wife, up-and-coming preacher star kind of person, and he got diagnosed with cancer. But it was a really bad cancer, as if there's a good cancer that you can have. But some cancers can be cured and some can't, and he's got one that cannot be cured. They can slow it down. They cannot stop it. He is going to die. Promising career, done. Kids going to be left behind. This is the thing that would kill me, that there's somebody else that's going to tuck my kids in at night. That just, I can't handle that thought. I just, I can't, I can't deal with that. He's got to deal with that. So somebody asked him, said, when you die and you get to heaven, are you going to ask God why this happened to you? That you had this, you, you worked for him, you were a pastor. And you've got this family, you've got all these things going. Are you going to ask him why? And his reply has stuck with me, and I've said it to a few folks because it means so much to me. He says, when I get there, none of this is going to matter. None of this is going to matter. I'll be new. I'll be changed. I'll be redeemed. With the glory of heaven, the memory of earth is going to fade away. So we wait with patience because God is sovereign. 
His word is true. His ways are just and pure and right. He never changes. He loves his sons and daughters. He gave Jesus to save us. Jesus, has, his spirit raises us to eternal life. We have a hope of glory with him. He redeems us. He makes us new. We don't have to think like everybody else. We don't have to think like everybody else. If Trump wins the presidency, the world's going to come to an end. There are people that say that. If Trump doesn't win the presidency, the world's going to come to an end. A lot of people say that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't have to think like everybody else. Last point. Y'all stay with me here. We don't have to act this way. We don't have to think this way. We don't have to fight this way. People are at war with each other. They walk out in front of buses with grumpy pastors that want to run over them. They are rude. They're insensitive. Everybody looks to vent their ire on anybody that they want to, to vent their ire on. We don't have to fight this way. Get a grip, people. We don't know how to fix our problems. We don't know how to fix climate change, stop uh, storms from ravaging in our communities to get people off of drugs to stop killing themselves we don't know how to stop our own suffering we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring we don't know what five minutes from now is going to bring if we're, if we're honest with ourselves we are painfully weak but the scripture says this likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Two things to see. Number one, the Spirit shepherds us with groanings. Now what is a groan? Y'all have groaned before. Something happens, you go, oh, that's, that's groan. A groan is an inarticulate sound as the result of pain or despair. Now the Holy Spirit can't despair because there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to despair of. But the Holy Spirit has pain. Now what kind of pain would the Holy Spirit have? Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb. Y'all remember that story? Y'all remember the story? Jesus is at Lazarus' tomb. Y'all remember that? And he's standing there at the tomb and, and Lazarus has been de dead long enough that when Jesus says, roll the stone away, I think it's Martha that says to him, but Lord, he will stinketh. That's King James, by the way. He stinketh. He's been in the tomb so long that he's rotting. His flesh is putrefying and it's got an awful smell. And, 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 and he's standing there knowing that in just a second that he's going to bust that space-time continuum thing. He's going to reach outside of, of what's natural and normal. And he's going to take this man that's dead and he's going to call him back to life. And all of these people that are so upset are going to be jubilant. They're just going to be absolutely crazy out of their minds is what's going to happen. And yet he looks at them and what does he do? What does that short verse say Jesus did? Jesus he wept. Why did he cry? Because he saw their pain and he was heartbroken. We have this idea in our mind that God's out there somewhere and we're suffering through our pain alone. And that is not true. That is not true. The Holy Spirit is in us hurting for us. Praying for us. 
Some of y'all hurt. We come to church and we're all smiles and grins and giggles and laughs and everything's great. But then I get to hear your stories. And I know that some of you hurt in places that, that we don't even know about. That your pain takes your breath. It makes you feel like your heart's going to explode. That your tears stain, sting your face at night in your bed and wets your pillows. And while you're laying there, think you're totally alone. The Holy Spirit of God is groaning inside of you to the Father, feeling your pain, communicating that Abba, she needs you. Abba, he needs you. Abba, Abba, Abba. With deep emotion, the Spirit prays for you. And with unfathomable wisdom, because the Spirit of God intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You and I pray for things that are ridiculous. And I know that if God does eye rolls, that sometimes when we pray, he goes, oh, for heaven's sake. We're like preschoolers that go to Taco Bell with the daddy. Daddy orders a taco, and the little preschooler looks up and says, I want the Diablo sauce. You know, Diablo is, is, is devil, right? That, that stuff is nuclear waste that you're going to pour on that taco. It will burn your mouth and your gut. It burns coming in and going out. It's awful stuff. Stay away from it. And the preschooler is going, I want that Diablo sauce, Daddy. I want the Diablo sauce. And Daddy knows if he gets that child and lets him have some of that Diablo sauce, there's gonna, it's going to be in pain. He's going to cry. He's going to hurt. There's going to be pain for Daddy because Mama's going to find out that he let the kid have the sauce. And Mama's going to kill Daddy. And it's just going to be a bad day all around. And Daddy says, no, you can't have that, son. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That we are praying sometimes for the wrong thing, but the Holy Spirit inside of us is protecting us from ourselves. He intercedes for us with groanings in God's will to keep us safely in Jesus' arms until the day of his appearing, until the redemption of our bodies, until our hope becomes a reality and we go to live forever with the Lord. It is an indescribable gift. And it is yours and it is mine. We do not have to act like the world. <clears throat> we are not required to think like the world. We're not required to fight like the world because we have Jesus. We are children of God. We are different. We're called to be different. Let's pray. Oh, Father, <clears throat> it's like I prayed to you in the first hour. I feel like a coach trying to get my team rallied up. They're winners. But, Lord, I, I, I look out, and it's not that me, as a, as a human, is seeing them as winners, but as you saying that we are more than conquerors through Christ, who who gives us strength that we can do nothing apart from Christ and yet with God everything is possible Father cause us to want to be different cause us to be ruthless in avoiding temptation cause us <clears throat> excuse me 
cause us to want you more than anything else. And Lord, I pray for us that we would be like children on our tiptoes, looking forward to the hope that's to come, especially when we're going through the dark places and the hard places and the painful places, that even in the midst of that, we would be on tiptoes, seeing the glory that's coming in the distance because it is coming, it is certainly, surely coming. Father, cause it to be real in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Call to those who do not know you and make them your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.